Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is the city's chief of economic development, housing, and neighborhood services, Dr. Eric Anthony Johnson. Dr. Johnson met with members of our Public Policy Committee and Political Action Committee last month as part of our Trek Talks event series and discussed his plans for expanding economic development and housing throughout the city, including a comprehensive roadmap for addressing our most critical capital needs. He joined Dallas in early March, having previously been the Community Development Director for the City of Bloomington, Minnesota, where his office was responsible for real estate assessing, building and inspections, environmental health and housing inspections, special projects, planning and development review, the city's housing and development authority, and its port authority. I'd like to give a quick reminder before we get started to please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. We're available on most of the major podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also follow Trek on social media. We've put links to all of our handles in the show notes. And now, here's Dr. Eric Anthony Johnson, right here on TrekCast. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining today's Trek Talk, our ongoing series. Uh, for uh, everybody who's on, uh, you are currently muted, but if you would like uh, later on to unmute yourself, you will be able to. And you can also utilize the chat function uh, to message me if you'd like to ask a question or let me know that you would like to ask one um, and, and we'll call on you during the second half of today's program. So uh, with that housekeeping said, I'm going to invite uh, Heath Cheek to give a few remarks. We're really grateful for uh, his service to our Trek Pack board as well as Bell Nunley's support of this series. Thank you. Uh, Bell Nunley is proud to support this Trek Talk series. It is great learning experience for us. And I hope it has been for all of you as well. Uh, I am pleasure today to introduce our guest speaker, Dr. Eric uh, Anthony Johnson. He is Dallas Chief of Economic Development and Neighborhood Services. In this role, he oversees the housing, urban planning, and design, historic preservation, and economic development. In 2019, chosen to serve as a Michael Rubiner Community Fellow to the Local Initiative Support Corporation for his innovative work in affordable housing strategy. Previously, as a community development director for the city of Bloomington, Minnesota, Austin was responsible for assessing inspection, health and health, housing inspections, special projects, planning and development review, housing and redevelopment authority, as well as the Port Authority. Prior to Bloomington, Johnson worked extensively on various transformative urban development projects across the U.S. He has served in economic development, housing and urban development, community development policy and management, real estate management, and affordable housing. Johnson launched his career as a management fellow with HUD. Additionally, he was a reviewer on behalf of the United States Treasury. EFI awards. Uh, he received his PhD in urban policy at the University of Delaware, a master's degree in public administration from Minnesota State University, Mikado, and a bachelor's degree in political science with a minor in criminal justice from Washburn University. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Johnson to talk about and priorities of the city of Dallas, and then we'll open it up for Q&A. All right, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate the uh, intro and opportunity to be here today. Can you guys hear me okay? All right, so, well, first of all, let me just say um, the first sort of 
organization I heard about when I got to town was Trek. So having the opportunity to speak to you guys today is really important. So a couple of things I want to talk about uh, today, uh, a couple of things. One, the challenging times that we are in, um, and I want to kind of sort of set sort of this framework in terms of what we're thinking about at the city of Dallas. I arrived uh, in Dallas March uh, 9th, somewhere around that time, and sort of, I think I was in office maybe a week, week and a half or so before the whole COVID-19 virus pandemic really started to take off. So it's been somewhat challenging to really connect with people and have an opportunity to talk one-on-one. So um, just trying to operate in that space. But, but let me just talk a little bit about the challenging times that we're in. So it's no, it's no surprise, and I think people are going to hear that the city of Dallas, you know, has suffered some economic sort of losses in terms of revenues as a part of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So what that means is we're going to have to do more with less. It doesn't mean we're going to have to stop doing what we're doing, but doing more with less. I think you're going to hear more about um, the challenges uh, around the declining resources and how we start to build back up while also balancing priorities for the city. So in terms of COVID-19, civic social unrest, budget revenue challenges, I think we're going to have to ignore all of that and talk about ways we can move Dallas forward. Because you guys know there will be calls, calls for balancing resources in the community while also figuring out ways to really jumpstart redevelopment and development opportunities in Dallas. So let me give you guys sort of a glimpse of what we're thinking about. And I think you're gonna to start to hear, you will start to hear more about this. We're looking at how to create what I'm calling a roadmap strategy that will run about 24 to 36 months. In there, we're gonna be talking about a combination of housing, infrastructure, transformative type developments, uh, potential regulatory changes, new policy program creation, all with the idea of it's not a plan, it's really like a roadmap in terms of how we can work on things together as a collective to move the uh, city forward. So for example, you're gonna hear uh, next month, we're gonna be launching a housing nexus study. And if you're familiar with a nexus study in the world of affordable housing, it's really designed to connect the correlation of affordable housing needs to the spending patterns of market rate units and really arriving at what the true numbers of affordability will be needed for Dallas. It's uh, sort of a similar type work they use in cities across the country. I'm not talking about inclusion Arizona. I'm talking about how do we better align and focus on affordable housing creation outside of HUD programs. Because the way it exists right now, most of the thought, most of the thinking is HUD program related, getting CDBG, home, et cetera. There is a greater world beyond that I think we really need to look at. How do we align our development tools around the creation of generating more affordable housing units? TOD, we're going to be working on TOD strategies. I would say logically, if we're doing TOD around, uh, we're doing housing, for example, around TOD stops, we should be looking at things like automatic parking reduction, smaller unit sizes, things that we can bring to bear in one single component that can build off some of the work already taking place in Dallas. So you're going to hear about uh, the creation of a Nexus study heading into the fall. We're really going to 
drill down, uh, look at some additional recommendations we can make to the uh, city council. You're going to hear more about um, looking at the creation of a comprehensive uh, plan. Dallas really doesn't have a comprehensive plan. So we're going to be launching a comprehensive plan efforts, TOD planning and area plans in the fall. We're also going to be launching um, work around Hensley Field. You're going to hear more about that as well. So there's a lot coming. And we're also doing some economic impact around a lot of these initiatives if we pull them off over the next, let's say, 24 to 36 months, if we are successful at reaching 100%, 80%, 50%, we want to be able to talk about the economic impact of really what we are doing. I think you're gonna hear at the August 3rd Economic Development Committee, a update on the economic development plan. So we're gonna be looking at the components of the plan, but also looking to create a city economic development policy. You're going to hear about the creation of a new underserved community strategy because we have entire sections of Dallas that uh, are really left off of the radar in terms of contributing to our local economy. So, you know, for example, you want a grocery store, but traditional market analysis would say there's no spending in those neighborhoods to support a grocery store. How do we drill down and understand economics better? to be able to capture opportunities in those neighborhoods. So for a more balanced approach to economic development, we're also gonna be talking about streamlining historic preservation regulations. We're gonna look at everything across the board that we can do to really help Dallas not only recover from COVID, but in the future is a city that is seen as one that's open for business, one that is really looking to push the limits on um, attracting individuals, new residents, investment um, uh, to the city as well. And then lastly, how do we create a vision for Dallas? Dallas is a city of 1.3 plus million people, but in the scheme of talking about cities around the country, Dallas does not come up as a city, even though it has all the components, you know, we need to better market the city of Dallas and create a brand vision for Dallas so that everyone, the likes of all development entities, all supporters, are really promoting a vision for Dallas that is known around the world, around the globe as a very competitive city. So uh, that's a lot. And let's see, I've been here maybe 110 days or so, uh, working to really put this sort of framework together so that our work is aligned going forward. Uh, and I also wanted to mention that from an infrastructure perspective, we're also looking at everything we have infrastructure. And guys, when I tell you the, the sheer volume of those projects and the spending that will come with the initiatives that I laid out, I think what we're trying to show is the city has sort of hit this valley. The projects and initiatives we're talking about is really going to highlight how we start to come out. Right. So that's why we're doing economic impact analysis related to everything to show, you know, uh, what we get on development projects in terms of spending, uh, what new types of strategies we can deploy. In that vein, we will be launching a thousand unit housing initiative challenge in the late fall around a series of projects, uh, project sites close to TOD. So we're going to put the call out, bring us your best ideas, um, best strategies. 
and uh, we're going to try to move forward. So in a nutshell, that's what's going on uh, in the city of Dallas. Thank you for that summary, Dr. Johnson. We'll now open it up to our Trek members to ask you some questions. You guys feel free to unmute yourselves and ask away. Dr. Johnson, this is Mike Ablin. How are you? Um, because of COVID, uh, we haven't really had a chance to welcome you properly to Dallas. Um, yeah. I think that was all a trick you played so that you could just stay at home, you know, yeah, I'm sure you got shorts on there uh, below the screen and you're just kind of hanging out. Um, we are lucky to have you here. And on behalf of Trek, we are glad you are here. We look forward to working with you. Um, and I know you know it, but it needs to be said that Trek has a mission. And the mission that we have is highly integral to your mission. So yeah. Yeah. we look forward to uh, working with you, supporting you. Um, hopefully have a chance to give you some feedback, support, and um, the leadership under Bill Colley is our chairman and Linda McMahon is, and Tony and a lot of the people that you've met are, are fantastic. So first and foremost, welcome to Dallas. All right. Thank you very much. I we appreciate really, that. We are really glad to have you here and um, looking forward to the roadmap, looking forward to the thousand homes, looking forward to the comprehensive strategy and a comprehensive plan that comes from the strategy. So I just want to jump in and say, welcome. We're glad you're here. We look forward to your work. We look forward to working with you and for you. So welcome. All right. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I've had some conversations with Linda and when she really started drilling down into what Trek does, I was like, thumbs up <laughs> because, you know, I'm a believer that, we can start to sort of set some of the pace, but we're going to need organizations like Trek to really help deliver. Um, and I think it's going to be important from helping to build capacity, helping to align our resources, helping to look at uh, policy changes in tandem with the council that uh, we can start to look at. You know, and I'll just tell you that I'm not a believer in uh, thinking this stuff takes forever to do. So I'm not looking to like plan, I'm looking for ways to execute. But how do we look for ways to execute while bringing others along at the same time, finding the capacity that exists to basically move, move things forward. So I appreciate the welcome. Great, so I'm gonna give you an open-ended softball to start with. Mm -hmm. um, you came from Bloomington, had, I, I think an enjoyable tenure there, you got a lot done. Um, a lot of lessons learned for you personally about processes, different form of government there than here. That's got its own nuances to it. In your first 104.3 days, or whatever the exact number is, what is the one thing that's jumped off the screen at you that's our greatest strength to work off of? And what is the one thing that you look at and you scratch your head and say, we should be further along with than we are that you think is, I'm going to call it low-hanging fruit, but necessary move? Yeah, um, I would say in my short period of time, the greatest strength, I believe, is uh, Dallas has all of the components needed to really do the things I think needs to happen. 
Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we have um, development capability. We have areas around town that need support. We have uh, the reputation as a global city. Um, we have those components. We have the capacity. Um, you know, it's it's sort of like the six million dollar man when it came when the six million dollar man. We have the technology. We have the tools. We can rebuild him. If you remember that slogan from the six million dollar man. So I think we have all of those pieces in place. I think the larger challenge is is somewhat disconnected. It's not connected together in terms of a sort of consolidated comprehensive strategy. And I'm not talking about from the government perspective. I'm talking about from who we are, what we're trying to be um, as a city moving forward. So um, the, the one shocker has been that um, not really seeing much of what Look, everybody knows about God, the big D. You know, everybody knows that. When we start to go beyond that, I think we have some foundational things we have to work on. So coming out of the Twin Cities, for example, there is a, there's a dashboard. It's a dashboard that measures the success, uh, both on the corporate side, um, from, from housing to everything. And they compare themselves to a series of cities around the country, of which Dallas is one. So. I think we have an opportunity to um, put some capacity building pieces in place in a short period of time that I think will rival what some of the other cities are doing. And I think the opportunity is to really help Dallas proper. You know, we have the suburbs, and I've done work in suburbs as well, nothing against the suburbs, but I think the immediate task is to really strengthen Dallas, uh, Dallas proper. Okay. I'll jump in. I have one. Um, some of the, um, I feel like it's been discussed for a while of the suburbs having a competitive advantage because of having an economic development uh, corporation, something along those lines, and that that would be, um, you know, something that would be extremely helpful to the city of Dallas. And I was wondering what your, your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that is something we're going to be looking at, looking at uh, really quickly um, in terms of how do we structure something like that here in Dallas. I think you'll see at the August 3rd Economic Development Committee meeting some discussions around that. And then the roadmap is going to really call for a timing to get there. So we will be working to create um, a structure like that and hopefully present something to the council uh, to really look at in, in early 21 sometime. Um, so yes, it's, you know what, it's like one of those things we have to put in place um, to really be able to be nimble, to do things that we normally couldn't do. And that's not a knock against economic development or anything like that. It's just that we need on deck all sorts of tools that we can bring to bear. And I think that's one of them. Dr. Johnson, it's Linda McMahon. It's good to see you and thank you for taking your time to be with us today. I really do appreciate it. I know our members do as well. Um, in our introductory call last week, one of the things that you said in that call was that um, in other cities that you've worked in, you've called on the commercial real estate in, uh, industry to assist the city 
in a variety of different, thing, different ways. I would love it if you could um, share some of those experiences that you've had in other cities and then what you, having been here just a few months, um, what, what your expectations are about what we can do to help the city move forward. Yes, good question, Linda. Um, you know, first of all, I would be looking heavily to the capacity and strength of the commercial real estate um, industry to help us do a couple of things. One, to help us make sure we are aligning our strategies, programs, initiatives that is going to fuel development and not stop development. But at the same time, say to us, what are the problems that need to be solved? And I'll give you a great example. In the Twin Cities, which is relatively expensive to build, when we created this ordinance, the first task up was to go to the uh, development community, the commercial, real estate industry, everyone across the board. And I simply asked the question, what's the problem? What will it take? What do we need to have in place? So uh, based on that and uh, feedback on our strategies, really help us accelerate our work because I think it's important that we don't draw a line in the sand and say government is over here, the industry is over here, let's fight each other. So um, I will be looking for validation in terms of strategy, input and guidance on structuring, um, ideas and concepts we can bring to bear to test. So that's what I'm going to really be looking for. So for example, when we launched the Nexus study, the first stop to me is headed straight to you guys to understand, you know, what are we dealing with? What are we up against? Um, how do we structure uh, these strategies going forward? So that's really how I see it. And I've done it in other cities, uh, whether it was Cleveland, uh, Charlotte, uh, Twin Cities. And what I find is that by bringing in that knowledge base to help uh, frame, it actually helps it go, go you know, much more smoothly. Uh, Dr. Johnson, this is Huntley Lewis with Kimley Horn. Um, so a couple things. One, I uh, just wanted to bring your attention. We've been working with the city the, um, at ZOAC about actually looking at the parking requirements for the city. And we've done a deeper dive and kind of realized that they're not really based on much and we're kind of looking to get rid of those. And I think that'd be a big help in general. Um, just wanted to bring your attention to that and the city is looking at that we put work into that and i just wanted to ask about infrastructure you know i don't obviously there's a lot to do um in the city but i was i was wondering if you had a focus and then also if uh broadband infrastructure was in any way part of your project there you know as we've seen with covid and working from home you know the areas that are wanting or struggling in that department. So I'd like to, was just yep. wondering if you'd consider that. Uh, first, I'm glad you brought up the parking um, requirements because I think that's something we're gonna have to take a look at and make sure that we, we get, um, get it right. 
Um, because I will tell you this, if there's TOD, I just think there needs to be automatic parking reductions around TOD. You know, in the Twin Cities, we created an ordinance that gave, depending on levels of affordability, for example, you can get as much as 40% parking reduction. You know, hard structure, 35, 40,000 to stall, um, you get some real good cost savings in that. So um, uh, that is something I think we, we really need to take a hard look at. On the infrastructure side, I think the thing that really, I, I should have said this earlier, I just think it's unacceptable in the 21st century to have the type of disparities present in Dallas. And I think a lot of it has to do with the infrastructure heading south and in other parts of the, of the city, you know, and in particular, infrastructure related to broadband. Um, you know, we recently uh, were having conversations about how do we focus our efforts collectively going after infrastructure. And I was really looking at hard infrastructure projects and I changed my team quickly after I saw the disconnect around broadband and I felt really bad for the, um, the citizens that live in these areas in this whole COVID and how they're going to be able to you know, have access to broadband to be able to uh, have um, their kids participate in schooling. So here is part of the thinking. We can't wait for the total infrastructure to be in place because we know it has cost implications in terms of what people can afford to pay. So we're going to be looking at this roadmap is going to call for a series of pilot projects. So for example, how can we use our tools to include the elements of broadband on development projects that we're going to be working on? So for example, we may have a 200 unit development, mixed use development, you know, if we can do this right, how can we start to put broadband elements in the physical developments we are building, you know, for no reason at all as a sort of immediate stopgap measure to start to help that as we start to build out the long-term broadband strategy. So it is something we are clearly thinking about, looking at. Um, of course, there's also resource challenges, but I think if we start to look at it in terms of, you know, locational pieces with, with partners and what we're doing, we're going to try and look at it from that perspective. Yep. Thank you. Uh, one, thing I, one thing I wanted to mention, guys, I, I forgot to mention this. Um, at the last city council meeting, there's two things that were approved that I think is important for Dallas. It's the creation of the um, Public Facilities Corporation, where we are going to have up to eight uh, PFC projects, two of which will be, let me back up, six will be put out for an open enrollment period, bringing your best projects, we're going to vet those and determine what we're going to go with, and we're going to write an RFP for two that will be unique, special, creative uh, using a PFC. I wanted to mention that because that is something I think is going to be uh, important and by all accounts, the feedback we're getting in terms of wanting to access uh, PFC models, I think it's going to be um, it's it's going to be very interesting in terms of the response we're going to get from that heading into the fall into early 21. We also passed uh, the creation of the ability to do five pilot test projects, which will be we don't know what they are. We want to create a space that 
if the projects had with them, for example, the combination of housing, maybe retail, uh, whether you're helping seniors, veterans, a uh, combination of things. We don't know what they are, but bring us your ideas. If they sound good, we have the ability to file those. So we're trying to create the ability to take on more um, uh, creative ideas as we move through the process. I wanted to mention that and forgot that. Dr. Johnson, it's Linda again. Um, on the creative ideas, as I understand it, that is where the city will donate land that they currently own. Is that the only parameter around those creative ideas? There's two, it's written for two concepts. So let's say we have a site and um, you technically can approach us and say, hey, we would like to do an option on this site. Uh, we want to go out now and test our concept and put our pieces together and come back to the city um, related to how the organization would want the land treated. The other piece of that would be, it could be a, a, a privately owned piece of land um, that we could work some creative um, pilot projects on and that would come in exchange for maybe a deed restriction if it has affordability to it or something like that. So, you know, we did this from the context of, we don't know what the projects are. I think we'll know when we see them, right? So. Um, so yeah, good question. It's kind of quiet. So I'll give you another question that I know a lot of people have, I've heard a lot of people in Trek talk about. Um, you haven't talked about it yet, but I know you have a lot of thoughts on the subject. Um, we have 5 billion of infrastructure needs on the physical side. We just did a $1 billion bond package. We have a bonding capacity. So we cannot, as the proverbial dog chasing the bus, we couldn't catch it if we tried. And if we did, it would not be a good result. And so the fact you're talking about a strategic, a strategy and then a plan, can you talk about those? But more specifically, you haven't discussed um, green, green cities. And I know you have a lot of thought on how as we densify to a city, we move towards a more green city and how one builds infrastructure, prioritizes infrastructure as a leading indicator of their strategy love to hear you just talk to everybody about that for a minute yeah you know that's a good question and you're right the infrastructure hall is massive it's a massive hall in terms of the resource need um uh, related to infrastructure but let me say this before we get into this the city of dallas even at 1.3 plus million people we don't have the resources people think we have Right, and that to me is something that we're going to have to really think beyond the general fund to look at creative ways to bring more dollars into Dallas. I mentioned that because um, looking at things related to infrastructure, we traditionally have focused on bond packages and things of that nature, which we will continue, but. It's going to have to be a total focus on targeting those resources where we get the biggest bang for our dollars, quite honestly. Uh, do I have a uh, detailed strategy on green infrastructure? I don't have that yet, but we are creating a uh, discussion around a roadmap to get there. So for example, over the course of the next six to nine months, how do we actually create 
that strategy, what that need is, and how we start to look at dollars beyond what we normally traditionally do to find the resources to get it done. So it's going to be a task, it's going to be a challenge, but I think it's something that um, uh, collectively we all are going to have to take a, a hard look at to figure this one out because the, 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 uh, the numbers are, are, are really tremendous in terms of the need. So I'll just leave it, leave it at that for now. Dr. Johnson, this is Sarah Dudley. I'd like to join Mike also and just welcome you to Dallas. Um, it is unfortunate that you got to Dallas when you did and you've been in your home like we all have. So uh, we're all looking forward to uh, getting to know you. Yeah, thank you very much. I just have a, it's a, it's a comment and a, and a question as I'd like to know a little bit more. I, I haven't had an opportunity to read too much about your background other than the little bio we got. Um, every city in America has got disparity issues, um, you know, especially in the parts of town where people of color are the primary residents. Uh, it's an unfortunate and terrible part of American history that is obviously becoming now part of the national conversation. Yeah. Um, whether it's economics, whether it's housing, whether it's healthcare, whether it's food deserts, it's all there and we all know it. And Dallas is certainly not immune. I'd like to know something about some initiatives that you have led in other cities who had similar issues that obviously an issue like that takes time. It's not something that happens quickly, but can you just give us an example of something that you have led in one of the cities where you serve, where you can look back on it now and can see a, a tangible and created success story? I'd, love, I'd just love to hear it. Yeah, that is an excellent question. So I'm gonna talk about the need for creating what I'm calling an opportunity city. Let me give you a real life example. And this, this, here's a scenario where, I'm gonna use Bloomington, Minnesota, right? Bloomington is a city of 80, 90,000 people. Uh, it plays above its economic weight class and has more hotels than Minneapolis and St. Paul combined. The uh, balance between commercial and residential is hugely significant. Location of the Mall of America, airport, everything is there. So this is, it's, it's such a juggernaut city that the state has a TIF revenue sharing with every other city because it does so well. So enter East Bloomington. The city had, there's a section of town that divides, it's very similar, that divides Interstate 35 to the west and the east. The West is highly affluent with all of the resources in the world. The East is the location of disparity, no investment for the last 25 plus years. So in the creation of the affordable housing ordinance, we prepared a document that was done in such a way that East of 35, we loaded the bulk of our incentives east of 35. So we went from basically having no development to seven projects in the pipeline before I left. One major project just closed. I got an email talking to the city manager um, uh, last night. Uh, uh, major project just closed financing, right? So that to me is an example of 
how do you create a piece of public policy that really directs the resources in part to a section of town that by even tax credit standards could not get tax credit projects. Everything from the creation of the ordinance, the aligning of the tools, uh, the creation of the suburban retrofit strategy, we did it all east of 30 of 35. And that really spurred the uh, creation of projects that otherwise would not have happened. So I use that as an example because uh, the clear divide was there. The city was calling for, let's say, a one Bloomington strategy, but here is half of the city that was basically ignored in perpetuity, right? So I like to use that example because it's a real life relevant example, like as we speak of today. Um, and I think the same type of scenario applies for, for Dallas. Um, and, and I will tell you, the city council was very adamant about, you know, when they saw the numbers, when they saw the disparities, and they saw uh, truly what the people in the local economy working in Bloomington, at the hotels, the restaurants, and how they were living, we've got to do something different, but at the same time, not slow down development. I like to use that example, and I think it's a good one to talk about. How was your housing policy um, put together with your, how to finance that? What was the city's involvement or participation? Um, uh, were you able to access uh, federal or state grants? Uh, just curious how you were able to put together a financial structure that made that both um, uh, work financially for the developers that was going to do it as well as for the city and to make it affordable for the residents. Well, let me tell you the story. Um, I arrived in Bloomington. The, so in the Twin Cities, over the last 10 years, only 3% of market rate developments included any affordability. They left all affordability up to the low-income housing tax credit world. So, um, the way we structured the ordinance, my first uh, communication to the council was, we need to change the narrative. One, we need to talk about this differently. We need to talk about this from economic perspective versus a social need perspective. So my first comment to the city council was, I don't need a single dime from the city to do this. I don't need the money. What I need is regulatory relief first before cash. So we structured an ordinance that loaded everything we had. And we took the development community, both for-profit, non-profit developers through a process that um, created an ordinance that first up, when you approached us, you, you come in with your, um, your performer. Oh, Dr. Johnson, I got a $10 million gap to do this project then my first response would be, have you looked at the ordinance? Oh no, we haven't looked at it yet. Okay, we built a tool where you can plug and play. So now you take your project and you get to choose the options available to you that on a regulatory side, you can chop away at your costs. That was one way we did it. So then when you came to us for TIF, the TIF wasn't a massive ask. It was based upon regulatory relief first, then TIF would feel the difference. That was number one. Number two, we created a superstar trust fund, right? Trust fund had two components to it. 
Um, the Nexus study identified the true need at 60% of area median income. So we knew it wasn't just a subjective number because we ran every development model known to man, every single model out there, we ran them all. And we tested and embedded all the concepts with the development community. So we created our trust fund because the ordinance called for the creation of a trust fund. The trust fund had two components, your regular revolving loan fund where you can come to us and get a loan, whatever for your trust fund. The second part was what we call the housing stabilization where we simply offset the difference from the 60% to the market rate and included the affordable units. Right? That is how we got it done. With no HUD dollars, no tax credit deals. Those seven projects I mentioned, only one was a tax credit deal. The rest of them was market rate developments in and around the market, in and around the Mall of America, for example, in and around areas. So it was really about chopping away at the regulatory and then having some capacity to deal with the loss in the NOI, right? We were able to produce and include. You can come to us and say, hey, Dr. Johnson, uh, I'm building 100 units, I'm doing 10% at uh, the affordable. I could turn around to you and say, oh, based on our trust fund, you know what? I'm just going to buy into, um, let's say, four of those units at 30% AMI. We didn't sell this notion of wraparound services. We totally threw that out of the window. Because we're talking about regular people working at the mall and hotels and everything. So we really framed the narrative. But it was really about regulatory relief before cash aligned with a trust fund to also help, right? And that was it. That's how we got it done. Well, Dr. Johnson, welcome to Dallas. <laughs> we, need, we need that kind of thinking. And I just want to say on behalf of all of my colleagues here at Trek, um, the people that can help you in this city who understand the hard view of the city are sitting or they're, maybe, they're either on the screen or they're in this organization. Uh, and there is great leadership. And I can't wait for you to get to know them uh, with Linda who is our great fearless leader and has, 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 has done more to speak to the soul of the city than maybe anybody in a long time. And so we're just glad you're here. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that uh, story because um, we, need, we need some good success stories as it relates to this issue in Dallas. Uh, it's well documented that we've had some pretty dismal failure um, and uh, we need to turn that around. So thank you for sharing. And what's ironic about that, I don't believe we have to do it from an inclusionary perspective. If you line it up the way I believe you can line it up, as a developer, I think you would so, sort of be remiss not to take advantage of a collection of tools that would really help you. So it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be like you will do this, but if you align the tools correctly, you'll get to sort of really see. So I'm going to conclude with this. Everything from smaller unit sizes, density bonuses, landscaping waivers. We even created a process to waive and defer um, permit fees. Because the fees were aligned to funding certain elements of the budget, we couldn't necessarily just totally waive it. But what I could do for you is I can push that off in terms of a change in the trans financial transaction. Right? I could do that. I could also say to you, because we control the narrative, we didn't talk about it in the HUD speak and the low-income housing tax credit speak. So, uh, and these are like luxury developers. I mean, we're talking about 350,000 per unit to build in the Twin Cities. I mean, huge numbers, right? 
So one developer, I said, hey, what will it take? And here, here's the response. Dr. Johnson, it's not that we don't want to do it, but there's one element that is problematic. If you're like, for example, capped at 60% area media income, now you're making 61% um, percent of area media income, you have to move. You no longer qualify for that unit. That is a scary scenario for property owners, developers, because they don't want to go through this sort of rigmarole of having to, oh, this person is going to leave, now I got to go back through this process again. So here's what we did. In these conversations with the developers, balancing the nonprofit world, we said, okay, in our ordinance, we will allow up to a five-year, five-year, up to 140% of area median income. That stabilizes the property, it stabilizes the individual. So we really started looking at any and all challenges and having a response to check it off, off the box. And that's really how we got it done. Um, if individuals were to call up to the Twin Cities and ask about this work, they'll find it out there because it, it was really, uh, really well done. So much so I have developers from the Twin City, understand? They started to make their way here because they want to do some work. So I think this is the type of work we have to do. Yep. Thank you very much for sharing that. We appreciate it. I'll let somebody else talk. We've had a couple questions come in uh, through the chat that I wanted to make sure we highlighted one. Um, building off of those regulatory subsidies that uh, you were just talking about, um, how can those help small businesses, nonprofit developers, uh, and you know, mom and pop developers, not just the commercial uh, developers prosper? And then the second question was related to opportunity zones and if there's been any progress on that, how that fits into the future too. But one, let me talk about opportunity zones. Um, I had the chance to do um, the only opportunity zone project in Minnesota. I think our challenge is we need some opportunity zone projects to really push forward before the timing runs out on the zone designation. So we need projects to really uh, go after. Uh, one, on the nonprofit side, here's what I have to really say about that. Um, the, the tools, the types of tools I'm talking about actually apply to the nonprofit world as well. What we will be looking for from the nonprofit community, I personally believe that we need a new development model that runs sort of, so on one side we got the private sector where we're hoping to get some units and we figure some of that out. On this side, we've got the tax credit world, two and a half, three years to get a tax credit deal. In that middle, I think there's an opportunity to work with the city, whether you are a nonprofit looking more at a social sort of shared value, social impact model of development. That's where I would really like to see the nonprofits really play. Because if the nonprofit financial models are identical to a private guy, private developer, then there's not much distinction that we can draw to say, here's why we need to be working with the nonprofit. So what I'm hoping we could do is figure out a way to work with some nonprofit developers and test some new sort of uh, financing ideas and strategies using the tools of the city in line with a nonprofit developer that's not so heavily driven by the massive returns or things of that nature. So I'll just leave it at that. Appreciate it. Yep. 
for anyone on their phones, you can unmute uh, with star pound six. Uh, anyone else have questions? How you doing, Brian? This is Alex John. I did have one question. Um, Dr. Johnson, you were referencing uh, the East Bloomington uh, kind of focus for development. How long did you all anticipate it would take for um, some of those projects to really gain traction in that area to uh, start being developed without the assistance that you were providing? With, without the assistance, correct. Well, I'll say to, I'll say it this way: without the alignment and creation of the ordinance, there would be no development, right? Because um, older in nature, lower income in nature, all sorts of health disparities, everything you can think of. Now, let me let me jump into the timing of putting this together. In less than nine months, we created this ordinance. The ordinance went into effect with a six month transition period to give developers, development community an opportunity to get up to speed. After the ordinance went into effect, 4,500 units in the pipeline, East Bloomington. That's less than um, a year and a half or so um, to really you know, uh, make the case. We made the case to the council, if we're gonna give any serious benefit, you know, uh, we need to do it in the areas that are the most needed. And that logic for a five year period, we created the opportunity to have more of a focus in the East Bloomington area, where we say it, for example, I didn't mention this, but we could waive actually waive development fees up to uh, 350 units um, each year for five years in East Bloomington. So when we put it all together, gave clarity to the development community, the unintended consequence of, of the work that we didn't plan for was the boom that ensued in terms of wanting to now do developments. <laughs> so we had to go out and uh, really start to ramp up. Now, at the same time, we were doing things to streamline the development process. By code, you must, by code, not by subjectivity, by code, you must get development projects through the pipeline in 60 days. 60 days. We gave you an additional, we cut it in half for affordable housing projects at 30 days. That message along with the ordinance really said to the development community, we are open for business, come on in. That's really how we got it done. And one follow-up if you don't mind, was the, um, was the focus more toward residential to bring the people there first and then develop around that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mostly uh, multifamily, but we also had 
the opportunity to put out RFPs to do um, townhome development where we reserved up to a certain percent for um, 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 up to 80% of area median income, which the area median income up there is a hundred and something thousand, it's 50 something thousand in Dallas. So um, that's really how we got it done, but it was a ongoing education with the council, planning commission, redevelopment authority, all at the same time, constant education um, to really um, to move it. But that's really how we got it going in uh, East Bloomington. But one thing I wanted to say also is that um, there's two sides of the coin. There is affordable housing with the notion of HUD as sort of this this narrative, CDBG dollars, home dollars, right? Um, that's one thing. True production comes from the space that is more helping the traditional market rate developers get to the affordability. Nothing against the HUD. We've been doing that for I used to work for her headquarters. <laughs> you know, it's nothing against that, but if we're expecting production with that as the driving point, we're not going to get it, guys. That's why it's going to require us to start to look at how do we pull together the tools, right, to make it such that the development community is going to say, I have total clarity on this. I know what I need to do. I know how this is going to help. It's not so offensive to even think about affordability, right? So I just need to make that point because sometimes we tend to think that this is all about HUD and CDBG and home dollars and all of that stuff when in fact it's really not. And if that were the focus, we'd never get any production done because there's not enough resources there to provide the type of subsidy needed to even offset uh, minimal development. So that's why I try to think somewhat outside of the box in terms of how we can structure um, working on affordable housing. So Dr. Johnson, have you already started a conversation in Dallas about establishing some sort of a trust fund? You know what? Uh, I am talking to a few national organizations about leveraging the limited dollars we have. You know, I think Dallas needs to be on par with the likes of Boston and Charlotte and San Francisco. We need a massive fund in excess of 200, 300 million dollars, quite honestly. And there are cities around the country, you know, some of my colleagues in Boston, uh, the work that Cambridge has put together. Um, you know, Charlotte recently launched a $200 million fund that really came with the, and it, it didn't even come from the government, it came from the private sector. It's the likes of Wells, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, um, putting pieces together. So I will tell you that I was able to launch a trust fund with a minimum. 500,000 and um, was able to leverage that 500,000 into $20 million. So um, there's ways we can think creatively about it, but we, we need a trust fund um, on scale that matches the situation we, we're facing. So I'm starting to have some conversations with some national organizations about taking some limited dollars we have. How do we leverage it? I just called them on the phone and said, hey, this is what I have. I need to grow this to $100 million. How can we make this happen? <laughs> so, so 
it's that's what I think it is. Because in all reality, if you look at again the city's resources, they're really not there. It's going to require us to think somewhat differently. And 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 in conversations with you guys going forward, I would really like to continue to talk about that. You know, how do we leverage what we have? How we can um, create a different source. Um, one thing I am good at is getting money. I will find money. Um, um, I know how to go go and make the case to get it. So I think we're going to ha have to have those types of conversations um, as we move forward. It's just about five o'clock. If no one else has any more questions, we'll go ahead and let everybody go for the day. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Johnson, for your time. Uh, we do look forward to being back in touch with you soon on the Nexus study, on the Housing Trust Fund, so many of these topics that were brought up today. Uh, and we do thank you uh, again for taking the time out to get to know us and do this as virtually uh, back and forth as we possibly could. Yeah, no, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it and I look forward to working with you. Um, lots of opportunity ahead. So I look forward to collaborating with everybody. Thank you very much. That's all for today's show. Um, we'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Eric Anthony Johnson, for joining us for Track Talks. We definitely look forward to working with you uh, further in the future. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow Track on social media. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.